have voices in my head, in case you're wondering. One voice is called Mike. And then the other voice he doesn't speak, he just looks at me strangely as Mark. Uh, it's really good that you guys don't turn around because there's a giant screen behind you. And uh, so far this year, I don't know if I talked four times or five times or two times or three times, but I'm really almost ready for them to start doing one of those countdowns that they do, you know, when your kids like 10, 9, 8, is I have this terrible problem when it comes to meeting people and talking to people. Like I get so excited that the church is just so alive and there's so many wonderful things going on that I honestly, it's not, I truly forget to come up. And so it has been a problem both finishing on time, which I'm not very good at, but I promise today, I, Jeff Lee, solemnly swear <laughs> to let my yes be yes and my no's, you know, to finish on time, but it's just because I'm so excited and there's people upstairs, there's people downstairs, there's kids across the street. And one of the things that I get to do, um, I'm, as you guys know, I love the back door. I love kind of just the home ministry that happens at the back of the house. And one of the things that I'm blessed to do is I get to have a relationship with the little ones as they're leaving. And I get to high five them or just kind of love on them. And little Lucy Goosey's got her mom's dress on today. So today they're like co-op and mom and daughter. And so we get to talk about having the dress and and then I get a hug on some of your kids and just love on them. And so one particular, I won't talk about who it is, but um, Charlie's my little guy. And I get a hug on him. And then all of a sudden his friend's like, I want a hug. And so next thing you know, I got like five little young dudes that I'm hugging on. And you know what? Like for me, church happens like before church ever happens when you get to just, just do that, right? Can't you just see Jesus doing that? Like he was just hanging out with the little kids and then the disciples were like, come on, Jesus, we got this important stuff to do. Doesn't that sound like a story in the Bible? And he's like, righteous indignation, right? No, that's a whole, I already taught on that. (laughs) You remember that? I already taught on that. So anyways, yeah, today is an exciting day because um, we are wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have been here and been walking through this whole series with us, um, whether or not it took one day or five days or three days or four days, um, we've been on it for a while, but um, we are wrapping it up today, and I only have a small segment, 16 verses. So, um, you know, I don't understand how you ask me to finish short and then give me 16 verses, because those two seem to counterbalance each other. Um, <laughs> but the, the exciting thing about today for me is um, it's a beautiful example of, of the teaching of the Lord and like the simplicity. It's, it's really wonderful comparison teaching. So it's going to start off with like two gates and then it's going to compare like two different um, teachers, like a good teacher and a bad teacher. And then it's going to talk about two foundations. So he's literally going to summarize this entire teaching about standing on this hillside all this time with two sets of comparison teachings all the way down to make sure that they perfectly understand. So the teaching today is going to be found in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 13 through 29. And although today I don't have any pictures, and I told you I would love to start showing pictures of everything, because we're still located on the side of the hill in the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to start by saying one thing. If we jumped a little bit ahead to chapter 8, which we're not going to, but if we did, chapter 8, verse 1 starts off by saying, a large crowd followed him down the hill, across the lake, and Jesus continued to do miracles. So I just want to say one thing. What that tells us is the large crowd, regardless of how many days he's been teaching, a large crowd has remained with him on the hill. 
So as, we, as he's getting ready to speak today, he's not lost anyone. He has not thrown anyone off. The entire time he has spoke, however many days, hours, or moments it has taken for him to conclude this information, they are all still riveted, and they are all still with him on the side of the hill as he comes to him today to bring to his conclusion this final message. So I just want to tell you guys, have you been blessed by this series, Sermon on the Mount? I hope you have. Thank you guys. Thank you, Pastor Eric, for letting us do this series. I think we probably could do it even longer, but today as we do this, if you know someone who hasn't heard this series, please get all of them. This is number nine in the series. Go back and backtrack them. So let me pray, and uh, we will walk through starting in 1314, which starts off with the two gates. Father God in heaven, we are so blessed. We are so encouraged and so grateful, not only for the upcoming season uh, next week with Christmas, but just in light of everything that you're doing here. Um, I I really do. Every week that I see the children go out and think about the kind of teaching that we pour into them, and I think about all the new people coming to the church and just Greg and Lisa and their family, Father, just so blessed and so encouraged. Lighthouse is a true legacy church, a church that was founded in the late 1949 there, and, and the fact that we still exist today and that that light is still going forth from Costa Mesa and all the way forth just It's such a blessing to be part of this place. And as we come forth in this holiday season, we know that Christmas is one of those special opportunities next week to have people come to church and conversations can start in this next week. And so I just pray that this message today would just encourage people the way that it did 2,000 years ago on the side of a hill, Father. It is ultimately the truth about who you are. And I pray today that it can reach down and touch people both here in this building and then, Father, when it goes out, and CD, and electronically over the airways. Father, I pray that your word continues to go forth and and find fertile soil that people can realize that in hearing the word is one thing, but Father, that transition to opening the door is everything. I truly do pray that people will build their house upon upon the the solid foundation who is your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. So this morning, I just like I said, I'm just going to remind yourself, next Sunday, we're going to have a bunch of different things for Christmas. We have a morning service and an evening service. We've got a bunch of little kids that will be singing. That's the ultimate blessing. So please pass out those cards. Um, we still have a few books left there where Randy's back at the table, um, the case for Christmas. Inside there is like an invitation for people to come to church next week. Um, please use those and get those out to kind of anyone you can. And then we'll be blessed to have them here. And I tell you, when they come here, the kids sing next week. Um, no matter what kind of speaking they hear, just that alone would be such an amazing blessing. Do you like hearing kids sing? Yes, and trust me, next week you're just going to be blown away. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's just turn to the passage here. Let's start with a reading. How about an old school reading, since this is a nice two-verse passage? Let's read together verses 13 and 14 from Matthew 7, starting with the word enter. Here we go, 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter in through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So he's been standing on the side of the hill. He's been teaching these people for a multitude of time. And he's now coming to the summarization of everything that he's taught. And so the first group of people that he wants to address right here is his disciples, the followers of Christ. And he wants to just clarify for them, everything that I'm about to say and conclude all starts with one key concept. And so I want to just focus on this for you. Everything starts when you enter in now the word enter from greek for me i kind of find it interesting it talks about arising and coming inside 
And the reason why that's so important is in order to even find the narrow road, I would tell you this, until you arise and come inside the gate, you would not even have access to the narrow road. The reason why is the Bible makes it perfectly clear. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. So by default, we are all on already the broad road. You don't have to do anything else in life to enjoy the benefits of the broad road. Now, there's been many songs written about many different roads, depending on your time frame and music genre. Uh, You can think about and reflect upon them accordingly. But all of the broad, wide, winding, narrow highways and roads all lead to one place, destruction. The word destruction in the Bible is very simple and very clear. It is separation from God for eternity. So if you choose to exist and live in this time on the broad and wide road, then you will receive all the benefits, glory, joy, happiness, or whatever it is in that temporal state. So you have to choose. Will you choose to exist and receive all the temporal things of here and now on that broad and wide road? Or will you choose to leave the broad and wide road, which leads to destruction, which leads to separation from God for eternity, and seek that path which is behind the gate? Now, I love this because it's interesting that Jesus himself calls himself something. See, Jesus himself says, Behold, what? I am the door. I am the way. I am the gate. And back in verse 7, he says, Any who ask... Any who seek and any who knock upon it shall what? Shall find. So although all of us by default are on this broad and wide road, the only thing required of us to get off of this road is to ask, seek, and knock. And in light of that, he stands behind the door and he calls to us and he beckons us, leave the road that you're on and seek what's behind the door. And when we come to the door and we hear the voice of the Lord, he says, I'm standing and I'm knocking, but that's not where it ends. You must enter in to that relationship. It is, in fact, when we enter into the relationship that you get what's behind the gate. Behind the gate provides the protection of the spirit. Behind the gate provides the direction of the spirit because it is a narrow path. It's not the broad and wide road that everyone else will be traveling. It's not the joy and happiness and the here and now and the pleasures of this world. It's a different path, much like this cord, which is behind me, is a different path that I'm going to take. Do you want your pleasures now? Then stay on the road that's wide and broad and easy to travel. But if you want what's behind the gate, then you will travel a road less travel. And you will travel a road that requires greater effort. And there will be struggle and there will be strain behind that door. But behind that gate, you get something. You get the security of who it is that lets you into that gate. And now he walks with you behind that gate. Right? And then you go as the psalmist. And even though you walk through the valley of what? You're not alone. As you walk through the broad and the wide and the highway that leads to destruction, there may be a multitude of people with you. But guess what? You will feel alone 
many times, even in the midst of the people around you. Because they don't have the security of the one who entered into the relationship behind the gate. And who can snatch you from behind a gate? For the gate itself is your protection. The gate itself signifies that you are no longer available to the broad and the wide highway. You are behind the gate. And behind the gate lies the protection. It does not mean that behind the gate there's not difficulty and there's not struggle and there's not strain. It simply means that behind the gate is the person who will walk with you through those things. And I encourage you this, to think that you could simply walk out into the middle of the desert and find a narrow path is to no avail. If any of you have ever walked in the desert, there are many paths in the desert. There's only one path that the Lord calls us to, that he stands behind the door and says, enter into this relationship with me. He calls himself the door, he calls himself the way, and he says the reason why it's narrow is because mankind enjoys his freedom on the road. Mankind enjoys his ability to do what he wants, when he wants, as he wants, where he wants. You see, the temporal life provides blessing and freedom to be all you can be here and now. And to some, the draw is overwhelming. To have the temporal things of this life is overwhelming. But he says, the temporal things of this world are so myopic, your vision is so narrow to see the things of this world. For what I offer you is a difficult road in this life, but a road in this life that leads to something that one day will be eternal joy. These people don't understand something. They're all in motion. They're all working towards an end. The road does end somewhere. And in the end, all things will lead to testing. And at the end of his conclusion, he teaches a lesson about what happens when the flood of life comes in and the foundation of your life is tested. The only thing that will exist will a foundation that was built upon the rock. So because of this, when he says, small is the gate and narrow is the road, some people get a little bit confused about, is it so narrow and so difficult that nobody can find it. I tell you this, if you ask, if you seek, and if you knock, all have the opportunity to find it. Sometimes we forget that Jesus so loved the world, right? He could have changed that verbiage at any time, but he so loved the world. And yeah, there's a lot of noise on the highway of life, but you know what? Stop what you're doing, drop to your knees, and ask and seek and knock, and you shall find. He never leaves anyone high and dry. He's waiting. Hearing him, though, remember, is not enough. If you want the things of life that are good, remember the things of true value are eternal. Because of that, as he continues to teach, he's going to teach very some specific things about false prophets. The next part of this passage is going to be used for both Good and bad, but I want you to understand something. One part of this teaching, mm, I think I've heard taught a couple of different ways. So he's now talking about entering into these two gates and the kind of people that lead us to these gates and how they use this for and against. So let's read this uh, first half, 15 through 20, and kind of digest this, and then the second half, 21 through 23, separately. Maybe this will bring to light some information for you. The first half, 15 through 20, says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, and by their fruit you will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. Thus, by the fruit, you will recognize them. So the Lord has gone from talking to believers, talking to disciples, and now he's going to identify a different group of people. He's going to talk about the false prophet, the person who's trying to deceive people into staying on this broad road and keep them from the road that would lead them to the Lord, to the true authentic gate, right? A false prophet goal is simply to blend in and sound like authentic prophet. Just like any wolf, the wolf's job is to blend in, camouflage itself, follow the sheep, and then look for an opportunity to break a sheep off from the pack. Any sheep that is separated from the pack is much easier to attack. The end goal for any true wolf is destruction. Because of that, the same is true for any prophet. Any true false prophet, excuse me, not just any prophet, any false prophet. Any false prophet's goal is destruction, to remove the sheep from their flock so that they can have the authority in that sheep's life. The opportunity comes when we talked about in verse 12 of Eric's teaching last week is that we are not to be judgmental. The goal is not to be judgmental. Remember the speck in the log from last week? But the goal is not to be naive as well. So how does someone who's being a follower in Christ understand to test what's being, being said without being judgmental? And he says, look for the wolves by judging and seeing the fruit. Okay? I like fruit better than fruit. And that's because the biblical term found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is singular. That's very important. It's singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit, singular. In other words, a false prophet will bear, will bear a singular fruit whose goal is destruction. And you're like, that's an interesting concept to say that a false prophet can bear fruit. But hold on one second. I'm going to share with you what I believe a false fruit they actually bear. The goal of that false prophet is pretty simple. To deliberately teach you something that keeps you on the broad and narrow path. If they can deliberately teach you something or use something, even from God's word, that keeps you on this path, then they will, by default, succeed from keeping you from the narrow gate, which then would put you into the Savior's arms and the Savior's protection and the guidance of the Spirit who then can lead and share and show you where you need to go. So what is it? The fruit that the false prophet bears. And I would say to you that the false prophet's fruit is legalism. Legalism. Right? Legalism tasted sweet to the Old Testament. It sounded good. The laws and the do's and the don'ts and the this's and the that's sounded so good. But in the end, it was just like the devil saying, did God really say that because you can't do the do's and the don'ts and the this's and the that's to any degree to ever fulfill the law so the very thing that they try to teach and show as being 
who God is leads that sheep into utter chaos. Instead, he said in Galatians 5, 23, these things are my fruit. My fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and man, listen to how important this one is when you're talking about a false prophet, self-control, right? To know what to teach, to know when to teach it, and to know how to teach it so that you don't separate the sheep, but you hold the sheep, and you care for the sheep, and you guide the sheep, and you show the sheep where they go, because none of us, no teacher of God's word, can save. I can't save. I can only be saved. So for me to think that I can teach you something or show you something or in some way that I've received some kind of information that makes me worthy of teaching and showing you something is not a benefit to you. I can only reflect to you like the moon reflects the sun. I can only reflect to you and say, that's the relationship that I have. This is what the Lord has done for me. This is how I walk with the Lord. And this is the faithfulness that he has shown me. And the fruit of the Spirit those things, those components of that fruit then show compared to the legalism of that fruit, which just bind you and put you in handcuffs and the very law, which was meant to drive you to the feet of the cross so that Christ himself can say, it is finished. You mean it's abolished and done? No, it is finished. It is fulfilled in me. I am the fulfillment of the law. I have fulfilled all its requirements because you can't. Yet they love to sow them over and over again. But verse 19 and 20 said there was an opportunity for us to know. We shall know the truth. How is it that we shall know the truth? I love what Bible commentator Matthew Barnes said this. I give him credit because I'm going to read it verbatim. The Savior gave us the proper test of character when he said this. People should never judge a tree by its leaves or by its bark or even by its flower, but by its fruit, which it bears. The flower may be beautiful or even fragrant. Its foliage might even be thick or green. But these are merely decorative. It's simply the fruit. That is its chief service to man. And from this he should form is its opinion of its nature and its value by solely its fruit. Fruit, singular. Are you sowing the kind of fruit that bonds people, that puts a millstone around their neck? And teaches them something that they can never do or be? Or are you showing something about who our Savior is and what he has done and what he is giving us in mercy and grace? I know that as we read that now, when we read 21 through 23, I hope that it, that it releases something to you. For me personally, it has released me from something. I have heard this passage taught so many times in my adult life. I'm only 52, but in my adult life, I have heard this passage taught so many times to believers and used against believers. And I pray this morning that you are freed from this because he is talking about false prophets. He is talking about how to identify false prophets. He is not talking about how to use this against believers to create doubt in your faith. Listen to how this now reads in light of what he just taught. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That makes perfect sense of a prophet. That makes perfect sense of a pastor or a teacher who has the power of God to be over sheep and to use that prophet, to use that ability to weigh or sway or to lead people from the gate. Are any of you currently driving demons out or using this in the same fashion? This is not relative to how this would read for them. He was talking to those who would falsely lead people astray. And he was telling them, it's not that you can't use my name and miracles can't be done. He does not refute that in his name, miracles aren't done. Note that that's not in there. You could use the name of the Lord and miracles could be done and you still would not have any truth about authentic faith or you being a believer that's just the power of jesus's name and that's his discretion to do what he wants with his name but for you to test that you have to see the continual fruit of that person prophet's life to see if they are is there go back to the fruit is there the kind of things is there joy is there peace is there patience is there kindness is there goodness is there faithfulness is there gentleness And is their overall self-control about how they see the sheep and how they treat the sheep and how they love the sheep? Do they value the sheep as much as Jesus loves the sheep? Or do they value themselves more than they value anything else? Because I know how much Jesus loves you because I know how much he loves me. And it's in light of that that I share my conviction of God's word with you. Because I have to first teach myself right i have to first use god's word and screen myself and see my own life in light of that because i have heard people use that against sheep and i've seen sheep walk out of the door and go am i a believer is he talking to me you are behind the gate you have entered into a relationship with the with the lord almighty and the scripture says who can grasp you from my father's hands but i see now how a prophet can use that to say deliberately start to teach doubt to a sheep and create a relationship that then makes us feel unworthy to once again share the love of God that we've received. Guys, we have a limited time offer to share the love of God. We have a limited time offer to share the faith that we've been given in who Christ is. And whatever the prophets or false prophets or the devil can do to distract us from that, that's all he's got, right? You know, when it comes to wannabes, I know a little something about wannabes. Um, I am the hardest core Dodger fan in the building. Let's just get that straight. If I put on a Dodger uniform and went to Dodger Stadium and stood in front of the stadium and talked to people coming in, I know pretty much most of the stats on most of the players. I know most of when they were recruited. My son and daughter have both played college sports. My son has played in the College World Series. I probably could convince a bunch of people that I might even be a player. I can throw a ball. I can hit a ball. I can play baseball. I've coached for many, many years. When it comes to being all that, it would be pretty impressive. When the game started, if I continued to be in my uniform and stayed in the bleachers and then yelled things to the players while they were playing still in my uniform, even asking them to throw me a ball or doing different things, at some point it would be pretty clear to people that there was a problem mentally speaking there might be a couple of problems and at some point when one of the players you know realized that i'm not part of the game and and then offered some type of suggestion like you know 
not going to happen or something like that. Regardless of how the game ended, if I stand outside and offer to sign autographs or whatever, I might inadvertently convince some who are still confused just because I'm pretty good role player and whatever. But you know what, you know what the ultimate reality of that would be? Fake. Right? It doesn't matter if I know Christian, if I speak Christian, if I dress Christian, if I do all things Christian, if my life exists in the bleachers, what have we done? It's possible you're here today and you're, you're yelling from the bleachers, you know, do this, go there, catch that and be that. You've got to play. We've got to use our faith. We're not called to be fans. Do you realize what the word fan is short for? Thank you. Fanatic. And that's the problem. We're not called to be fanatics. We are called to be followers. Do you realize what the term Christian means? Little Christ. It was a a derogatory term. A derogatory term. I'm not even going to tell you what comparisons in words today is because it's that derogatory. It was a derogatory term that they took on as a term of endearment that they could be called a little Christ. It's a derogatory term that means we know who we are and we know what we're supposed to do and we are supposed to play. We're supposed to be. We're supposed to do. We're not supposed to talk. See, false prophets, they want to talk about all the different things they know. False prophets want to talk about all the things that they've been enlightened with and that they've gleaned. Servants want to serve. Servants just want to do. Servants want to go. Be the church. Don't talk church. I can talk baseball all day long. I can play baseball all day long. Or I can actually go play baseball. I have been in my life in situations where I have been convinced by people of things they've said because they've said it so convincingly. And I'm here to warn you that Jesus was telling them, test what you hear against God's word. It's okay. And it's wise. Test what you hear against God's word. It's okay. As a matter of fact, it's wise. Because God's word will stand the test. And check your leaders. Make sure that the fruit of the Spirit is self-evident in their life. If they don't show self-control, there's a problem there. If they don't have love, if they don't have patience, if they don't show kindness, something's wrong there. And that's why it's not easy to be a pastor, to have that double scrutiny for the whole world to see. But it's worth it for us because we know when we entered into that gate what he said he could do with us. Because ultimately, Eric and I know who we are, and Jimmy. We know who we are, but we know what God has done with us. And so for for that, we're so grateful. There's such an opportunity there that we get to serve him with the rest of our lives. We get to do this every day. And yeah, it's double scrutiny and it's double whatever, but it's also double the reward because one day... One day very soon, and I believe very soon and very soon, we are going to see the Lord. It's going to be worth it, guys. I'm not giving up the temporal. I don't want want the stuff that's here and now. You know, if all you want to talk about is the labor pains, then you forget about the child that was born. It's not about the labor pains. Some labor pains are far more sufficient than others. But think about the child that was born. In this life, you will have 
And that's why he had to finish this teaching. Therefore, whenever there's a therefore, what's it there for? He said, therefore, I'm concluding. I'm concluding everything that I'm saying. Therefore, everyone, who am I talking to now? Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, they beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who put his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Thank you, Eric. Jesus says, look, everyone, not someone, not certain elect group of people, everyone who can hear this, I'm talking to you, everyone who hears this, be wise. Test what you hear and now build accordingly. Do you forget sometimes that Jesus actually was a carpenter? Yeah, um, it's been said, Pliny wrote in his um, notes, Pliny wrote that the things that Jesus built with his hands were seen up to 600 years afterwards. That the very things that he created, years later, all of the people, were, whatever plows, things, years and years later, the very creations of Jesus' hands were still being used. Jesus was a carpenter. He knew how to build. When he's talking about foundations, he's not talking from left field. He knew how to build. And you know what? We're not from that area. But if any of you have ever been in an area where there's sheer mountains, which means mountains that go up and down and then little streams flowing at the bottom, one thing about sheer mountains, in those areas where the streams flow, the areas that have nice sandy kind of riverbeds by them, the last place you'd want to show up and build is on that sandy, what they call the shoal near the sandy river. There's only one person that would show up from out of town and start to put a foundation on that sandy shoal. A fool who didn't live there. Because you don't understand what sheer mountains create when the rains come. Did it say if the rains come? Did it say if the winds come? Did it say if the river rises? No, it says in this life, you will have tribulation. When you walk behind the gate, you will walk a narrow path. And your foundation will be tested. If you want to pick the sandy shoal that looks great right now and build your house, that's fine. But when the flood comes, and it will come, you're not going to have a chance to rebuild this time. Because he's talking about eternally. And he's talking about your house and he's saying, what you put down on that sandy shoal, when it's tested, I, Jesus, will test it. And if it doesn't stand, there is no rebuild. There is no redo. It's done. And if you want to be wise, then listen to what I'm saying today and build your house three feet down on what's called bedrock. Dig deep and go to where it can stand. And they all knew this. If you lived in that area, you knew where to build and how to build on something that would stand. You know what's cool about Israel even today? You can go back and they, they build on top of old things. It's called a tell, T-E-L. 
So if you ever, if we go to Israel, hopefully in 2019, one of the wonderful things about Israel that's not wonderful about our culture, they've never forgot their history. We don't have much history. Some things like 100 years old in America, we're like, oh gosh, you know, go to one of the missions, and it's like 100 years old. But they literally have 2,000-year-old history, and they build on top of their old things, right? And it's called the tell. So when they go to do archaeology, all they have to do is just dig down, and they've built right on top of all these different things. They know. They've been building in the same areas. That's why their things are still standing. They know how to build. And if you put a foundation on that kind of solid foundation, it stands. Floods came. You want to test it with eternity? You want to test your life on eternity and build on the sand? It seems crazy to me to think that you would test your life against eternity. I have something that I have to admit to you guys. Um, Vegetables? Vegetables are good for you. Pastor Eric um, has a problem with vegetables. He really likes them a lot, and so he eats them all day long. Sometimes Pastor Eric is lunch is vegetables. He's actually eaten a giant squash just for lunch. And I mock him. <laughs> I actually say, Eric, are you eating baby food? And it's literally like a tub of squash. But if you look at Eric and you look at me, clearly there are some benefits. <laughs> vegetables. Eric was a lifeguard, and all I was was a simple bodyboarder. Um, probably rescued me, probably. Um, vegetables can help your eyes. They can help your skin. Uh, I've heard they do good things for your digestive system. I know a lot of things about vegetables, but there's a small problem. I don't eat vegetables. So what value are vegetables currently to me? A lot of you know a lot about Christ. You know who he is. You know who his dad is. You know where he came from. You know in a week how he came. You know what he can do for you. You know he stands behind a door and he knocks and he's calling to you. But you know what? Just because you know his voice doesn't mean you know him. That scares me as a pastor. It's one thing to say I could eat more vegetables and maybe I would reap the benefits of that. But it's another thing to say I know that Christ is calling me. I know that Christ is talking to me. I know that the Spirit of God reaches out and speaks to me, even in the road that I'm on. I still hear that still quiet voice. But, but I, haven't, I haven't asked him in. When I put these, continue the conversation at home, I thought, maybe today you should actually ask yourself, you know what, what road am I on? Because if you're ever going to take the time to ask yourself a question that's truly worth asking, it would be why you're still alive. Because one day, you won't be. And one day, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But then, 
it will have been to no avail. So I encourage you this week in your small groups, in your time alone with your family, maybe in one of our beautiful beaches or wherever you get alone, ask yourself, what road am I on? How did I get here? What am I doing on this road? Secondly, when I hear information in my life, not just Siri speaking back to me, but when I hear information in my life, TV, television, news, pastors, whatever it is, how do I test that information? Am I so excited to hear things that I'm just going to take whatever I hear with a grain of salt and just be like, yeah, I heard it. It has to be true. You know, I'm blessed to be part of the millennial young adult ministry here. And by the way, young adults, we... uh, flawless pitch right here we're young adults we have our party tomorrow night so if you guys know any young adults i want to see all of you guys tomorrow night but uh, yes thank you jimmy we'll be across the street in the living room you guys hear something doesn't mean that it's true you guys do realize that right even though they put it on wikipedia and all the different sources just because somebody posts something or blogs something that doesn't make it true you need to test your sources test your information and if you can, always start by testing against God's word. Does it test against the fruit of the spirit? If it does, my suggestion would be you listen to it. And finally, what is your house built upon? You're all building. You're all walking on a road. And while you're walking on that road, you're simultaneously building. You're all building. And one day when you are done, your life as you know it will come to an end. And you will enter into your house And it will be tested for eternity. What is your house built upon? Is it built upon the solid foundation that Jesus Christ represents? Because there is one way, one truth, and one life. And I'm sorry, there's no way to candy coat it because those are his words, not any pastors, not any churches. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except what? That word through is the same Greek word portal, which is the exact same word door. Through him. He is the portal. He is the door. He is the way. He is the gate. He can't use any more symbolism than what he does because he's constantly doing the same thing. He will speak to us in every single way that he can with all the different word pictures available so that there's no way we can ever stand in front of him one day and said, I would have made a decision if I understood, if I could. That's not going to be available. He's going to say, you could have, because I used everything that you needed to hear and understand. I gave you all those opportunities. You simply just did not allow me to come in. Being at the door, knowing that I'm there, and knowing who I'm in, just like vegetables. That does not, that's not, I read a book on dentistry tomorrow. I can hang a door outside of my door and say, Jeff Lee's dentistry. I guarantee you people would show up until the first time I performed a root canal or removed a tooth. And then quickly the word would spread around town, Jeff Lee is not a dentist, right? Just because you read a book doesn't make you a dentist. And a lot of you keep reading things and thinking you're something, you know, do, do faith. Even if you struggle with it, get behind the gate and do faith. Let him walk alongside your faith with it. Walk alongside him with you and you will see how your faith comes to life. When others become more important with you, then you'll understand you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. But as long as they're good days with the Lord, you know what I'm saying? I'd rather have a bad day with the Lord than a good day by myself any day. Amen? If If you're around legalism right now, let me just give you one final affirmation. Legalism is not a fruit of the Spirit. 
prior to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 are the weeds. Some of you may may need to have some devotional time with your families and get back to Galatians 5 and look at the weeds prior to, okay? If there's a lot of weeds in your life right now, anxiety, depression, fear, phobias, different things like that, those are weeds. That's not what you want to be seeing in your life. If that's what's coming from what you're hearing or being taught or what you're learning, you may want to get away from that. In this life you will have, but take heed, I've overcome. In that room behind that gate, it's going to be difficult, but we walk in confidence. We walk in faith knowing that he has overcome this world. It doesn't matter what the world brings or why it brings it. It's okay. Sickness, health, whatever it is. In your marriage, that's what I always tell everybody. If I do your marriage counseling, if I do your marriage, let me just say, in sickness or in health, for better or for worse, till death do you part. Pastor Jeff, I want to come talk to you. Me and my wife are having a problem. I want to get separated. Is she alive? Yes. Are you alive? Yes. I have a problem here. You're not going to like my counseling. You guys need to work it out. Okay? Think about what you say. Let your yeses be yes. Let your noes be no. Because he can walk through you with it. I believe that. I've seen him do it. He can do it with you today. We're going to pray. We're going to have the band come back up here. Um, Eric and Kat will be up here. I will be up here. Maybe we can get uh, Rich and Joyce in the back. If you need to pray, if today for some reason you're just, you know what, it's just something not clear about something, don't let the day, let the, don't, do not let the sun go down on today and not be clear. If not, if you know someone today and you can share this message with them, it's such an amazing message. Please get it to somebody's hands and let them know how much the Lord loves them and how much he's made it perfectly clear what we need to do and how we need to do it. So don't let there be anything confusing about our faith. There's one way, there's one truth, and there's one life, and that is through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. In that, we have full forgiveness of sins, and we have new life in him. And no one and nothing can snatch us from our Father's hands. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, we are so grateful for the day and what it represents. We are so grateful that you set your son, Jesus Christ, some 2,000 years ago to stand on this little hill with a bunch of people to share this first amazing sermon that would just be encompassing of his entire ministry from start to finish and give us some truths that are so authentic that we could be teaching them for the rest of our lives and build our house upon him and know that it is built upon the firm foundation, the rock that is your son, Jesus Christ. He made it clear. He's talked to us in our own language, in our own way. He has met us where we are today. And so I pray if there's anyone in this building right now or as this message even goes out electronically one day, Father, if there's someone that hears this, I pray that they would pull over or do whatever they need to do to stop and open the door to your son, Jesus Christ. Today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day to enter into that gate of thanksgiving. Father, thank you for you for everything that you've done. We give it all to you. We say it all to you. It is for you that we exist. Amen.